We're going to be in John chapter 4 this morning, and it's a passage that's probably familiar to you. But I, I love what you have begun. I, I listened to Pastor David's message last week, uh, talking about the fields being white uh, unto harvest and to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to call forth laborers into that harvest. And, uh, and that's a, a wonderful emphasis, and, and we need that emphasis, and we need to hear that because what we're praying for is for God to draw his children out into the fields. It's one thing to be able to look out in our world and say, wow, how lost and dark this place is. I can't wait till God calls me home. But never engage it. Never go out into the fields. Never to go out and involve ourselves in the lives of those around us to build a relationship with them so that we might be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them. And that's really what we're here to do. If God did not need us to do that, he would take us home when we came to faith in Christ. But we are part of his work in the world. And so we, we must engage that and we must embrace it. Um, reach 2020, I love that. And, and you came and you took invitation cards and you handed them out. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was, uh, uh, before I came to Christ, I had gone to a, uh, uh, my wife's uh, parents' church, a Baptist church. Uh, walked in there. I was lost as a goose in high grass. I couldn't, you know, I liked all the worldly things. And I was still in the Navy back then. And I swore I'd never walk into a Baptist church again because I kind of felt like I was a trophy for them. Now, that wasn't their uh, fault. That was mine. That was my perception. Uh, but I became very sensitive to the fact that as we go out to reach people and share the gospel, we never want them to feel like they're, we're trying to get them to do something we want them to do. We want to go out and share the love of Christ with them in a way that they understand that it's Christ through us that's drawing them to him out of his love for them. We're not looking for trophies. We're not looking for attendance records. We're looking for people to come to faith in Christ, to understand his great love for them and the great sacrifice that he made. And so in our passage this morning, and we'll read through it here in just a moment, it's a little bit lengthy, but my focus is not on the harvest itself so much as it is on the Lord of the harvest. Because the Lord of the harvest is the one who brings the harvest. The Lord of the harvest is the one who sends out laborers into the harvest. And I want to share three characteristics of the Lord of the harvest with you this morning that help us understand that those characteristics should be evident in us as his children, as his ambassadors. We're going to look at his unlimited love. There's no limits on the love of Christ. There's no walls, no barriers. There's no borders. Now, there's no certain style of individual, no certain race, no certain background. He, is, he has unlimited love for those in the world that he created. And so it tears down all barriers. He also has uncompromising truth. We'll look at that here in a moment as well. In other words, God loves us too much not to be honest with us and tell us the truth about our spiritual condition. But he always does it in a way that's encompassed by his love for us. 
And then we're going to look at his unrelenting mission. Jesus never quit. When the going got difficult, when opposition came, it never deterred him from fulfilling what he came to do in this world. And it shouldn't deter us as well. It didn't stop the disciples. In fact, in the face of great persecution, the church blossomed and grew. And we have seen that happen over the centuries. When persecution comes, the strength of the church is stronger because the dependence upon God is more realistic and we understand it better and we have to trust in him and not in our own ways and in our own abilities. So we're going to look at his unlimited love, his uncompromising truth, and his unrelenting mission. We cannot grow weary in doing well, and we cannot back off when things get difficult for us. And we can use all kinds of excuses and reasons for not engaging people, but none of those are sufficient. Christ is in control. He sustains us. He enables us. He strengthens us. He encourages us. He sends us. He is with us wherever we go. And our mission needs to be as unrelenting as his to accomplish his overall redemptive purpose for the world. And I don't know about you, but that should excite us. That should energize us. That should inspire us. That should help us understand that every contact, every individual, every, every opportunity we have is divinely guided. And God puts us in those opportunities and those situations. So in John chapter 4, uh, we're going to read. It's a little bit lengthy, but I'm going to begin in verse 7 of John chapter 4. If you would, we'll stand uh, as we read the word of God this morning. I'm going to read through verse 26, and then toward the end of the message, uh, I'll fill in after that so we can see the end result of what took place here. But this is that familiar story about the Samaritan woman. <clears throat> the, the, the Pharisees had become uh, unhappy with Jesus. Go figure. Uh, he, was, he was making an impact. He was getting more disciples than John the Baptist was. And so uh, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. Now, in verse 4, it begins. Now, he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. Uh, the King James says he must go through Samaria. We'll talk about that here in a minute. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, uh, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, which is around noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, 
Give me this water so that I won't be thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now live with is, is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus de uh, declared, believe me, one, a, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the, the true, true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Father, thank you for your word. I pray you'll bless it and you'll speak to our hearts this morning and we will respond according to your will. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> the purpose of John's gospel is certainly evangelistic. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, he says this, he writes this, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have eternal life in his name. So everything that John writes about in, in this uh, gospel, in his epistles, everything is focused on people coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And, and this is, uh, you know, the gospel of John is one of my favorite 66 books of the Bible, along with the other 65. I love all of them, but John's emphasis is on sharing the gospel. If we can do nothing else in this world as Christ's children, sharing the gospel is the most important thing we do. Making disciples is certainly a part of that, but we cannot disciple them till they come to faith in Christ. So we need to be specific about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That was his primary purpose, to reveal Jesus and to bring sinners to salvation. We don't do that. God does it through his spirit as he draws them. They respond to that, receive Christ as Savior and Lord, and come to faith. That's the most important thing. But I want you to look at the Lord of the harvest. Jesus has, has called us to be his disciples. In Matthew 9, as you looked at last week, uh, he said to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into that harvest. But look at some of the characteristics of the Lord of the harvest. And that's the very first thing I want to point out here is that he has unlimited love. Now, in our passage, it tells us that because the Pharisees were getting kind of upset with Jesus, he decided to go back up to Galilee. He had been in Jerusalem, but he must go through Samaria. Now, there are three ways to get to Galilee from Jerusalem. One is along the coast. Uh, one is crossing the Jordan, going up on the east side and then cutting back over. And one is going right through Samaria itself. 
True Orthodox Jews may not have gone directly through Samaria because they did not want to become unclean. In 722 BC, the Samaritan and the northern kingdom of those 10 tribes were taken captive by the Assyrians and they became a mixed breed. And that's why later on when the Samaritan woman mentions about worship and where they worship, uh, this became a little bit of an issue for her. In fact, she was, I think she was more trying to divert uh, herself, uh, Jesus, away from her lifestyle than anything else. But that was the issue here. But the, the word indicates that he has specific purpose for going through Samaria. And that specific purpose was because there was a divine appointment set for him with her at that well at that time. Now, I, I believe that God <clears throat> brings us into situations of divine appointment. In fact, I don't believe that if you're here this morning just by chance. <clears throat> now, God doesn't make us robots, but I believe God has brought you here this morning, and you're going to, you should have already engaged him. He says where two or three are gathered in his name, he's in the midst, so it's not like he's not here. It's not like we have to pray to ask him to come and meet with us. He's already here, and the door is open to have a relationship with him, to meet with him, to worship him, uh, to sense the Holy Spirit being here to work in our lives. He's already here. The question is, are you here with him? Not physically, but are you here in spirit? Is your heart where it needs to be? And if you're not a believer this morning and you've come and maybe this is your first time in this church, or maybe this is the first time you, you finally decide, okay, I'm going to go and come to church with somebody because if I don't, they'll keep bugging me. That's okay. That's a divine appointment, and Jesus brought you here for a specific reason, because he loves you. He loves you with an unlimited love. He didn't come and, and go just to the religious people. He didn't come and go to engage just to all the good people and the wealthy people and the smart people. He came to every person. In fact, Jesus was known for going to the people that nobody else would go to. He would go to the prostitutes, and he would go to the tax collectors, and he would go to the down and out. He hung out with those folks because Jesus said at one point, they're the ones who are in need of a physician. They recognize who they are. They recognize their great need. Others are super righteous. Their, their righteousness overcomes the reality of their sinfulness. But Jesus came to all people from every part of life, no matter what their background, no matter what has happened in their life. It's a divine appointment. Oswald Chambers says in his book, My Upmost for His Highest, he said, God is the great engineer creating cir circumstances to bring about moments in our lives of divine importance, leading us to divine appointments. And I believe that as Jesus went to Samaria, as he met this woman at the well, that was a divine appointment. He had to go there. And she was a Gentile. She was a woman in sin. But he had to go meet with her. Jesus is here this morning to meet with you. And he's here to meet with you because he loves you. With an unlimited love. And it's important for us to understand that. He didn't come to a select few. We know the passage that everybody in the world knows and very few actually claim that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him 
should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the focus of everything Jesus did in his ministry. It's the focus of what we should be doing in our lives. Everything should be focused and centered on that. Engaging people, loving people, caring for people, no matter what their background, tearing down every wall or, or anything that might hinder the message of the good news of Jesus Christ from being heard. It's not going out and beating people up with the gospel. It's going out with the love of Christ that overcomes every obstacle in order for it to be shared with someone who needs Christ in their life. So he comes to the well. The scripture says when he gets there, he's tired. Uh, and there are a number of things that we could look at concerning the humanity of Christ along with the divinity of Christ. He was all God and all man without taking away from either one. It's beyond our comprehension or understanding. But Jesus got there. It was a long journey. Uh, he was tired. He sat there by the well. The disciples decided they were hungry. They ran into Sychar to find something to eat, to find some food. And again, all of this was not by happen chance. This was a divine appointment. God had established this to take place. And this woman comes to the well around noon. And she comes... Likely because nobody else was going to be there. Normally you would gather water in the morning and gather water in the evening. And many times the women would come as a group for safety purposes and to, to uh, uh, fellowship with one another. This Samaritan woman came by herself at noon to gather water, not expecting anyone else to be there. Certainly not a man, a rabbi, who would talk to her because that was unheard of. Rabbis certainly were not going to be talking to individual ladies on their own and certainly not one who is a Samaritan. And yet that's exactly what happened. Jesus engaged her in conversation. Jesus knew she needed a savior. Jesus is going to do something he had not done up until this time and reveal who he was to someone who was totally outside the, the scope of what we would think he would do as far as revealing himself as the Messiah. Your past doesn't matter. Uh, we can hold on to it. We can mourn it. We can agonize over it. We can think we can't change where we've been and where we're, we are at. But uh, let me just say right now, your past makes no difference to God because when you come to faith in Christ, that past is wiped out. It is gone forever. Jesus is concerned about where you are at right now, today, and where he wants to move you and take you tomorrow. So it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how bad your life has been. It doesn't matter how rebellious you've been. Jesus is here this morning to talk to you, to love you, to draw you to himself, to give you a gift you can never receive outside of him. So understand that, that Jesus has unlimited love for you. And that's why you are here this morning, because he wants you to see it. He wants you to understand it. He wants you to experience it. And it's a love like no other love that you will ever experience on this earth. It's greater than a father or a mother's love. It's greater than any love that you can experience down here. 
because it's a divine love. It's a love that cares so much for you that God sacrificed his own son to pay a price for your sin that you couldn't pay so that you might have a relationship with him. That is an unlimited love. No boundaries, no barriers. You're here this morning by divine appointment to meet with Jesus Christ because of God's great compassion and love for you. The second thing that's important to understand here is this. The Lord of the harvest has an uncompromising truth. Now, I, I, I love this about how Jesus engages this woman because he doesn't candy coat things. He doesn't try to win her over through uh, flowery language or try to coerce her or some, something like that. He loves her too much to let her stay in the lifestyle she's in without it being changed through turning to Christ as her Savior. God loves us too much to let us stay where we're at in our lives. As a non-believer, he, he knows that your eternal destiny is separation from him for eternity. As a believer in Christ, he knows that you have much more that you can do with his strength than you're doing today. He knows that, that there's more uh, blessing, more strength, more encouragement, more impact that you can have. If you will just allow him to show those things to you and you confess that sin and you repent of it and, and you allow him to work in your life. As a non-believer, God wants you in his kingdom. He wants you in his family. He wants you in that home he's prepared for you. And the only way that's going to happen is if you will acknowledge your sin and confess it and, and believe that what he did on the cross was sufficient to pay the price for your sin so that you can become his child forever and live in his kingdom forever and not be separated from him. He speaks truth to us, not to condemn us, but to bring the reality to us that outside of him we are hopeless in this world. But through him, we have hope, and we have a peace, and we have a joy that passes understanding that the world cannot give. So Jesus engages this woman. He talks to her. He asks her for a drink. It blows her away because this is so outside the norm. It's unthought of. It's unheard of. And so when he asks for a drink, she says, uh, why are you asking me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan. You know, what's going on here? Uh, and she said, uh, he said, listen, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus used a woman's need for physical water as an object lesson for her to realize her need for living water or eternal water. Water that only comes through the Spirit of God. Water that is life-giving for eternity, not for temporary fulfillment. But she, like Nicodemus in John chapter 3, misunderstands him. And I think many times as God is speaking to us and, and touching our hearts and lives and trying to move us, we're thinking in earthly terms, not in heavenly terms. And so we're missing the whole point of everything that he's trying to do. And that's where she was. At one point, Nicodemus was there. But this is a challenge with people today. The dialogue continued with her recognizing that he had nothing to draw water with. Where can you get this living water, she asked. And then she mentions about Jacob and, and his descendants and how that well was there for him and asks the question, are you greater than Jacob? 
And Jesus answers with this wonderful truth. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Well, still not quite understanding. Uh, She's asking for this water. The woman asks for that living water, and then the conversation changes. And there's a deeper issue with this woman that needs to be dealt with first. When she asks for the living water, Jesus said, uh, go call your husband. Now I want you to sense what's going on here, because they're talking about water. They're at a well. Um, she's by herself with Jesus. This unusual scenario is being played out. She's looking for living water, uh, not quite understanding what it is. And then Jesus says to her, go call your husband. And you can almost sense this, this shock that comes across her face. Why is he asking this? And so instead of telling him the truth, she just says, well, I don't have a husband hoping things were going to kind of continue on. And Jesus said, I know. I know you don't have a husband. You've lived with four guys, and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. You're living in sin. (laughs) Listen, when Jesus has uncompromising truth, it's penetrating, and it impacts our heart because Jesus knows more about us than we know about ourselves. He knows more about you than you even know about yourself. He knows those sins that nobody else knows and only you know. He knows all that stuff in your life that you've been suppressing and hiding, thinking nobody else will ever see it or see it revealed. Jesus knows more about you than anyone else. And Jesus wants to deal with that sin in your life before he moves on to bring salvation to your heart. And that's an acknowledgement, a recognition that you see and you agree with him. Yes, I am a sinner. I have sin in my life. Jesus confronts her about this. She doesn't have a husband, she acknowledges. He sees beyond her words and moves to the heart. A sinner who has been married Four times and now living with a man. Jesus knows all about us. He knows our heart, our mind. He knows our actions. He knows our sin. This is the way that we have to come to him in total transparency and acknowledgement because Jesus already knows. Even in her own community, it seems she was rejected. That's why she would come to the well by herself so that she might not be hassled or bothered or have to be in the context of other women. Her sin had somewhat isolated her. She knew she wasn't doing what was right. Matter of fact, uh, this is a great statement for understanding that we're not supposed to be living together. When we're going to be a husband and wife, we we live together after a commitment, after a vow. But just living together is living in sin. And Jesus says that's wrong. He tells her, listen, you're living with a guy right now. You need to deal with this. We can't live in sin. We have to acknowledge it. So she changes the subject. Isn't that interesting how when God begins to deal with the sin in your life, and by the way, let me say one other thing. When you have sin in your life and it's unconfessed sin, there are some things that begin to happen. You start to pull away. You begin to isolate yourself. 
You don't want to be in church as much. You try to avoid believers who actually care about you because you don't want them confronting you with your sin. And so, you know, you can take a little bit of an inventory and with that unconfessed sin, see that you're drawing away when God's trying to draw you closer. You're pulling away from him until you acknowledge that sin in your life. So she changes the subject, and that's what happens with us. God begins to bother us about our sin. Then we have to divert him somehow. Let's talk about something else. So she talks about worship. Well, we worship up here. You worship down in Jerusalem. You know, it's, it's just different. And the reason they were worshiping up there was because they were a mixed community of people now. They were not a true Jewish, of true, true Jewish faith and history. And so they couldn't go down to Jerusalem and worship in the temple. So they established their own place to worship in. Jesus didn't allow that to happen. And Jesus confronted her about that as well. He said, true worship will be in spirit and in truth. Jesus knew that in AD 70, the temple was going to be destroyed. That after he died on the cross and rose from the grave, the true worship was going to be in spirit and in truth. They didn't need the temple anymore. They didn't need the Holy of Holies. All of those, that stuff was torn down. And now we go directly to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, he's our high priest. He's the one that we go to. He's the one that saves us. He's the one we worship. There's no walls, there's no curtains, there's no, no uh, barriers to that. It's, it's free and it's open. He says, listen, there's going to come a time when you worship in spirit and in truth. And by the way, that's the only two criteria of worship. It's not the music, it's not about the environment, it's not about all the other junk that we get caught up in in our world today. It's simply in worship and in truth. So that when you go anywhere in the world, you can be in different worship environments you can be out under a tree in, the, in Africa. You can be uh, up in a, an igloo and wherever, you know, up in Alaska, wherever. And you still worship. Whether you know the language or not, you can worship because it's in spirit and in truth. So Jesus said, listen, you're, you, don't worry about that. That's not an issue. Jesus' uncompromising truth touches us where we need it the most. We should want him to speak truth to us. If there is something that is in between us and him that's keeping us from coming to him, we want him to confront us with it so that we can know it and we can acknowledge it and we can receive his forgiveness. The third thing is this, the Lord of the harvest, his unrelenting mission. Now, notice the response of Jesus. The woman makes kind of a passing statement concerning the coming of the Messiah uh, who will come and explain everything to them. And Jesus said this, I who speak to you am he. Now, in the original language, he is not there. It simply says this, I am. I who speak to you am. Just like Jesus said, I am the bread. I am the water. I am the one and true only. I am who I am. He is all-encompassing. He is all things. And he makes that statement to a Samaritan woman living in sin in a Gentile community. He makes his first revelation to her. That is so outside of what anybody might have thought uh, would even happen. But he identifies himself here as the Messiah and revealed himself to her, a woman living in sin by herself. 
The response of the Samaritan woman was, was this. She ran to town, just as an evangelist might run with the good news to a lost community. She ran to town, leaving her jars there. And she said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And the town responded and came to see Jesus. Just at this point, the disciples had returned from Sychar and they're shocked that Jesus was talking to this woman. Uh, she went to run, to run into Sychar and announce the good news and the disciples were confused about why Jesus isn't hungry and not wanting to eat. This is interesting because Jesus' focus and mission was different than what his disciples' focus and mission was. They were hungry. They wanted to eat. They thought he needed to eat. But Jesus said, listen, listen. I have food that you don't know about. His food, his energy, his strength was coming as the Holy Spirit of God was working through him. He gave him the strength. He gave him the energy. He gave him all the sustenance he needed to fulfill the calling that he had and the mission that he had. Jesus said, I have food to eat you know nothing about. He was on a different path from the disciples. And then the, and the rest of the story in verses 39 and following. We're not going to read that, but let me just fill you in on what it says. It tells us that many of the Samaritans from town believed and that Jesus stayed in Sychar for two days. Two days. We don't see this anywhere else in the life of Jesus. Where he went... A woman came to faith who was a Gentile, who was a sinner, ran in and told all the town. The town came out after they heard her and they believed. And it also says that they believed not just on her word, but what they heard from Jesus. And he spent two days there. Can you imagine what that was like, that two days in the middle of Samaria in a town called Sychar? where Jesus had revealed himself as the Messiah. This is his unrelenting mission. Jesus did not have walls. He did not have barriers. He had a mission. His mission is our mission. It must be unrelenting. We can't back off. We can't get sidetracked. We can't retreat. We have to engage. And we have to have an unrelenting mission to go out into the world in our Jerusalem, in our Judea, in our Samaria, and in all the parts of the world. It's not you pick one and focus on it and let the others fall away. It encompasses all of that an unrelenting mission to engage people to have those divine appointments that God has set up for us to share faith in Christ it's so interesting how God works in those situations when I was in uh, southern Siberia uh, back in the 90s and we uh, actually this was Ukraine in the 95 and uh, I went to a, an apartment house with our interpreter and, and uh, with a couple other people from our team. And we went to see this young man who was probably in his about 24, 25. Uh, that was the focus of our visit. And we knocked on the door and his dad answered. He lived with his father. And his father didn't even want us to come into the house. Uh, but the son came to the door and said, no, I've invited them. So we went in and we sat down and the, the dad was just you know, really unhappy about this whole thing and just kind of sat there with a scowl on his face. So instead of talking to the dad, I was focusing on the son. Uh, 
And so I, I shared about Christ. I shared a Bible story with him. You know, I was really focused on the young man. And, uh, and we came to that point where I asked him, I said, well, uh, you know, would you be willing and are you ready uh, to acknowledge your sin and confess your sin and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and rose from the grave? Uh, and are you ready to receive God's gift of eternal salvation? And before the son said anything, the father said, yes. <laughs> and I thought, okay, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> My focus was totally on the young man. God's focus was on his dad. And his dad received Christ. The young man received Christ. Then he wouldn't, didn't want us to leave. He brought out the biscuits and he wanted to have the tea. And I mean, he just, and these were poor, poor people. So giving a few biscuits away was a big deal. But it helped me understand that I don't set those appointments. I can't limit my focus to one individual or one little part of the community or one group. My responsibility is to take the gospel to every person and demonstrate an unlimited love for everyone. That I have to speak truth to them about sin and the reality of sin. The Bible says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has sin in our life. That the wages of sin, the payment of sin is death. Separation from God for eternity. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that if I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that God has raised him from the dead, the scripture says, I will be saved. Divine appointments. God sets them. The Holy Spirit empowers them. We have to go out with that unlimited love with an un compromising truth about the reality of who we are as sinners and have an unrelenting mission to fulfill what God has called us to do. There's a whole lot in this passage that we have not touched on, mainly because I wanted to touch on the Lord of the harvest. We're not the Lord of the harvest. Jesus Christ is. His characteristics of unlimited love and uncompromising truth and unrelenting mission should be part of who we are as believers in Christ. And God, in his great love for us, confronts us with that. And we have to ask that question, God, does my life look like this? Does it look like Christ? Does it emulate the Lord of the harvest? Am I looking and going and seeking those divine appointments that you set up? Am I sharing truth, not just, you know, all the good stuff? Am I, I trying to coerce somebody to come into the kingdom or come to church? Or am I sharing truth in Christ's love that will be convicting by the power of the Holy Spirit, which will bring them to faith in Christ? And am I getting tired? Am I wearying in doing this? And if the answer is yes, then we need to come before God and ask forgiveness and ask him to give us the strength and the vision and the purpose and the mission that he has. So I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes right now because there's two things I would like you to consider. One, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, 
Here's my question for you. God has brought you here this morning for a reason. He wants you to understand his love. He wants you part of his kingdom. He made the great sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, to pay a price for your sin. The Bible tells us that that sin causes separation from God. And the only way to be reconciled to God is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he tells us that we must simply acknowledge, agree with him that we're sinners, that we repent of our sin. Repentance is a big part. It means changing direction. We're ready to change direction from our life style and the way we're going to follow Jesus Christ. And we believe that what he did on the cross and through the resurrection was what we needed. We believe that it fulfilled the requirement of the law. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Jesus did that for us. And the Bible says that if we will pray and receive that gift of salvation, that we will become new creations. This morning you're here. Maybe you've heard the gospel before. But you're here this morning by divine appointment and you need to respond. And in your seat, right where you're at, you can pray right now and and simply say something like, like, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've been outside of your will. I know I've been rebellious. I want to turn from my way and follow you. I want to follow Christ. I believe what he did on the cross, paid the price for my sin. Through his resurrection, he overcame death. And I want to become your child. Please forgive me and give me eternal life. You can pray that right now. And then when we stand here in just a moment, you can come and talk to these men down here at the front, and they will pray with you and encourage you and help you begin a new walk in Christ. I absolutely believe that God is going to bring you to faith this morning through His Spirit. Respond to Him. And believers, we need to engage these characteristics Unlimited love, uncompromising truth, an unrelenting mission. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't stop. Don't let anything get in the way of what God's called you to be as his children. So you pray, Father, what in my life is hindering me from being what you want me to be and doing what you want me to do? How can I show unlimited love? How can I share uncompromising truth with those that I love and you love and how can I stay on task on mission to bring honor and glory to you and maybe you need to come and pray this morning and make that commitment and surrender yourself to what God wants to do in your life Father I pray this morning as we close with this time of invitation this time of response you never bring us into your presence without our needing to respond to you in some way And we are so grateful that you love us too much to let us stay where we're at. So I pray, Lord, that you will work among your children, that you will draw those here who don't know Christ to come and receive Christ as Savior and Lord and begin a new life with a new hope, with an eternal destiny with you in your kingdom. And most of all, I pray for you to be glorified in every response this morning so that when we leave this place today, we will have known that we've met with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you'll be glorified in us. For I pray it in Jesus' name. With your head bowed, eyes closed, if you need to come and respond, you come right now. Let God lead you. 
pray where you're at if you need to pray right now where you're at. But don't leave here. Don't leave here without responding to Christ in your life. Father, thank you for speaking to us and challenging us today. And we know that our response isn't just at this moment in this service, but it's as we leave this place today as well. May you be glorified in your children as they go out to engage a lost world for Jesus Christ. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May may he pour his grace out upon you. And as you go out today, go out with a new mission, a new focus, a new commitment to represent Christ in everything you do. Amen. We'll be dismissed.